Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Welcome to Mostly Talk. My name is James Brewster and I'm the podcast host. Uh, This week I'm speaking to Scotty Mills, OBE and a legend. He's a Marine of 33 years experience um, been all over the world and had such a really interesting and varied career. Um, now he's, he's a keynote speaker and cultural expert. He's also a Guinness World Record holder. And uh, yeah, he played a significant part in England's win of the World Cup, um, the Rugby World Cup that was. And has also helped the English FA over the years too. So yeah, a bit of a legend as you'll hear, and a great guy to, to be able to speak to. Really grateful for his time. I uh, hope you enjoy the, the show. Scotty, are you? Uh, you're always on time, or a minute early. Every good marine is always a couple of minutes early. That's what they say. I always try to abide by that myself, but I've, uh, since meeting you, I've been more punctual than ever. <laughs> what do you think of my shirt? I, every time you've got a new shirt, what's this? Poppies, obviously. Yeah. Wow. And Quite amazing, isn't it? And did you? Was it because of an event, or where did you pick this up? It's basically a gift that was given to me. Um, I've got a dartboard and 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 always have had one. Probably um, comes from my adopted dad. My granddad used to play darts and stuff, uh, you know, during the war and bits and pieces. And we always did those sort of social games, and darts and snooker. And he was a bit of a card sharp in London during the war or like, you know, after the war and stuff. And uh, so... So probably where a lot of my love of sport has come from that sort of area initially, working men's sports, football and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, 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 you know, something I've passed on to my kids and my oldest boy, he's 29 now, Sean, um, he's really into darts. He's, he's, he's a brilliant player, actually. He's really good and stuff. And every year we have a pilgrimage to go to the, the, uh, the Centre of Excellence for Darts, the Ali Pali. And we go every year to go and watch the World Darts Championships. Wow. It's great fun. It's a mega piss up. You know? <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, we love it. And, uh, you know, we follow the darts and stuff, watch it on TV and bits and pieces. And basically, one of the, uh, one of the players, a guy called James Richardson, um, I think he got to the quarterfinal a couple of times. And an Englishman? It's mainly mainly Englishmen that are in it, or is it a world? Englishman, Eng- yeah. yeah, yeah, Englishman playing in the World Championships, and um, one particular year he's doing pretty well, and he was wearing a shirt like this, and also around his neck he had like a a, a medallion, but but you know when they interviewed him afterwards and said what's on the medallion because it was quite unusual, I noticed that it was a photograph of. Um, a young Marine who I took through training. Wow. A guy called Mark Birch, who was killed in Afghanistan over 10 years ago now. Um, 
in, if I'm honest, a tragic loss to our core. He was a court boy. He was one of those guys that was flying along. He was due to be a sergeant soon. And uh, he was killed by a suicide bomber. And, and you know, he's a great loss. I think of that young man often because he's one of those that was really light and bubbly and stuff. And, and uh, you know, anyway, he had a medallion around his neck and he said that he comes from the same town as, as Mark and his family. And, uh, you know, they're doing a, a charity, Darts for Heroes, they call it, which makes it better. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, they've been doing it for a while and stuff, and he wanted to raise awareness for it. So um, I thought it was a wonderful thing to do, bearing in mind, you know, he, did, he didn't really know, he didn't know Mark at all, but obviously knew his family. And they raised some money and stuff. And uh, anyway, I reached out and I contacted him, being a Darts fan, and then with the link with, with my mate Mark Birch from Northampton. And uh, last year I went down um, to the darts tournament, which they run. I went down to Northampton and uh, you know, it's just before I left the Marines. So I was sort of the guest of honour really and sort of presented the prizes and got in all my regalia and stuff. And basically said thank you to the darts community, which there were many professionals turned up for this big tournament. Oh. Um, and you know, while I was there, I got to see Mark's family. His mum, his dad are amazing. Um, his sister and his brother. And you knew him for, for a few years, obviously. You coached or trained I, him for I, I had done interaction with them um, on sort of Facebook and bits and pieces. I don't do that very much anyway. However, and, I had and, done Mark, with them and kept in touch. And, and Mark, um, did you, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Scott. Like Mark, did you coach him for a few years or was he in your. I took him through training. I took okay. him through training. So, uh, you know. He's one of the guys that earned the Greenberry when I was doing the training there. Wow. And, uh, you know, I got to know him. And then, and then you know, we, I'd kept a close eye on his career as he was going through. And occasionally we'd sort of bump into each other and say hello or maybe find time to have a beer and stuff. So we become pals. Um, and, and uh, yeah, 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 great lad. And uh, the darts were heroes. People gave, gave me one of these shirts, which I wear with pride, which is why you're seeing it today. Yeah, you get involved in so many good causes. It's part of what you do with your retirement, in a way. Is that is that fair to say? You're kind of you've got no shortage of good causes that you can help out. It's it's difficult for you, right? Or I only do it for the t-shirts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've seen you've got a new bloody t-shirt every time I speak to you. No, it it it's it's so important to give back, right? Yes, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, you know, as we get on a little bit. Um, and we sort of build up these experiences, uh, James. You know, we hopefully do things for the right reason. And I know you're on a new journey as well. And you've asked yourself the question, why are you doing it? And what drives you and what motivates you and stuff? And like, you know, when you look honestly and authentically inside yourself and you sort of search for those answers, it's a journey, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, hopefully along that journey, you find out some some truths about yourself, but also some nice things as well. And, uh, you know, I think it's nice to sort of look back at my humble beginnings um, and, and to try and give a little bit back because, you know, I've been so lucky to work with some incredible people who are truly inspirational um, and brush shoulders, uh, you know, with some people who have inspired me and who have become role models and passed on their knowledge and experiences. And I think, you know, I really like passing that knowledge back on in whatever environment it is, but also giving back a little bit. So uh, charitable support is important for me. But then, you know, you talk about 
just that that critical moment in your life when you were 17 we've talked about this a few times now but you know that you know you you could have taken a completely different life and it's just by chance and and maybe even you never mentioned before a wee bit of military history in the family that made it sort of open your eyes up to it perhaps or yeah yeah you know my nan and granddad were 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 you know my adopted parents really and mm. uh, whilst my mum was still around bless her uh you know and I've got a very strong relationship with her now, I'm pleased to say. Um, it, it, my, my nan and granddad are both white, uh, you know, both long since gone now. Um, but, you know, my granddad served in the army for 12 years. He was in the war. He, he um, you know, he was at Dunkirk and Monte Cassino. Oh, wow. Um, never spoke about it. Never. No. And is that different days in terms of, you know, post-traumatic stress and things. Are we a lot better at speaking about things and 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 opening up? And because there is a mental burden, if you like, when you come back from war. And I've got uh, uncles, an uncle that was a CB. He was in the Falklands and he was he was in all sorts of conflicts. And uh, my grandfather he was in the Desert Rats. And you know, I've got a long military history in my family too. And and it, is it just a sign of the times where we're are we better at speaking about these things and helping out our former? Are kind of our yeah military heroes, if you like, or or do you still think there's a you know a, an issue and a burden that's placed on people who kind of come back from war? Yeah, you've opened up a real a real topic there, haven't you? And and um, it's something I feel really strongly about. Uh, you know, from um, from you know having a, a a family with military connections with my granddad and my uncle was in the army as well for quite a few mm. years. And stuff, and uh, you know, and and looking back, you know, bearing in mind, um, probably the hardest job that I ever did was to be the officer in command of looking after our most seriously injured, complex, and and battle wounded Marines, Navy, Army, and Air Force. We had in there as well, and some were injured through road traffic accidents and terminal cancers and brain tumors as well. So, so. So you know, I've seen firsthand the 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 effects of war, and um, but, you know, having been on these on most of the recent operations as well, and sort of battles that we've had as well, you know, and had sort of firsthand experience of that. Uh, you know, it's not an experience that you are likely to forget. Put it that way, and and uh, you know. Everybody's personal experiences of these things are slightly different, I think. But uh, looking after those Marines and sailors and airmen and and, and, and army guys, you realise that at their time of greatest need, when their world is collapsing around them, um, that as a society, we have to be there to support them because they've given so much. Um, And then there's the sort of the wider topic about you know, other people who suffer from from sort of mental illness and, and mental injury and stuff and how we should support them. And perhaps we might go on to talk about that in a moment. But, but you know, perhaps coming back to the military, it was only just over 100 years ago that we used to, I say we, our country used to uh, line people up against the wall and shoot them for cowardice. With, with the likes of shell shock and, and they were cowards and malingerers and stuff like this and and uh, you know 
don't think any of us can really imagine what the horrors of the First World War were really like. Uh, you know, fast forward past the Second World War, you spoke about the Falklands there. Um, it's a well-known fact, I believe, that that more service people have committed suicide than were killed during the Falklands conflict of yeah. the back. Uh, uh, you know the Falklands itself, and that's tragic. And I, I don't believe from the First World War all the way up to the Falklands and beyond that really there was very much in place for our people who were mentally wounded, injured, or sick. Um, and I think it's only off the back of Iraq, Afghanistan, and and you know changing times and more awareness, maybe the start. Of breaking down the stigma and perhaps even opportunity as well to sort of reach out to people and reach out for treatment that that you know starting to break the mold and you know in command of the the marines company called hasler company uh, you know did that from 2013 i think to 2015 um you realize that that you know people need help and they need support and they need treatment. Same as you get physically injured, obviously, you know, you'd be diagnosed um, and then and then you'd have some treatment and that should be the same for mental illness, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, in whatever guise that is. And, you know, you need to see a specialist to be diagnosed what the issue is and then you need some treatment as well and, and then probably need some support to be able to uh, either rehabilitate or just, you know, get yourself to a position where, where, where you know you can manage your illness or your injury, um, and and the Marines were at the forefront of this, and they spoke about two main things: removal of the stigma. It was massive, because you know, in a male-fueled environment. I mean, you know, I know you're a rugby fan and a sports a sports fan, James, as well. You know. Let's just go back to a sports environment, you know, because that's being spoken about, about football and rugby and mental health within sport. How difficult it is, somebody in a sort of a, a, a male-dominated, testosterone fueled environment like a rugby team or a sports team, to have to stick your hand up and say, I'm not having a great day up top. Um, I'm struggling really really tough very need to be very courageous i think to to have done that certainly in the past over recent decades but i think as developments are sort of going forward and this is being talked about a lot more with royal involvement i i think as well it's helped um it's helped to sort of open up and then remove some of the stigma bearing in mind you know the marines I don't think there's a more testosterone fueled environment yeah. could ever go in. Yeah. Um, and and you know how difficult it it would be to go up to your corporal or sergeant or sergeant major or your or your officer um, and say I, I can't function today because uh, I'm mentally unsound. Uh, and uh, you know, bearing in mind, you know, the Marines always talked about overcoming and adapt and and. And, and, you know, and pushing your way through and, uh, you know, being mentally resilient and mentally tough. Well, 
that sort of counters, doesn't it? That, that I'm, I'm not having a great day today. And um, it was, and still is, very difficult to remove the stigma entirely, I believe. And, but, in, ter in terms of but, the... Sorry, go, go on, on. Go on. Go yeah. on. They, we, we, I think we've come up with a, with the phrase that's more commonly used now, which which is, it's, it's okay not to be okay. Um, and, and, you know, off the back of that, the... Um, it's important that people know that if they are courageous enough to be able to put their hand up and, and to share, um, or, or, or you know, to reach out for an opportunity to be able to get some support, it's important that they know that they won't be unfairly disadvantaged in things like their career or their lives. Yes. And that, and that this, these things are confidential and, and you know, they won't go telling all your officers and sergeants and people so that you can distribute or whatever um and and you know i think that's where the that's where the trust comes in in regards of mental illness and how it's managed treated and ultimately uh, you know led by people who understand it and there's a few things in that scotty like you know you're such a resilient guy yourself you know you you've given me advice and help during lockdown and and you've had great conversations about mental health and 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 then there's overlaps with value and culture within the Marines and 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 corporate organizations, any organization and, and values, etc. And I, I really like your, your Mensana in Corp. Sano, is it? You know, healthy body, healthy mind. That's and, yeah, that's right. Mensana incorpore sano is the is the motto of the Royal Marines physical training branch. It means uh, and, you know, sound in body, sound in mind, healthy body, healthy mind. And, and then you uh, know, even just shifting people's routines and, and the way the world's changed so much, it's it's you know it's important to 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 care yourself, right? And and you're not you know being forced into this lockdown situation. But I know it was immense and 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 I you know it's very difficult at times and people's routines have been shifted that you you lose sight of a little simple discipline like that, right? But but the other thing is where does your resilience come from? Because you're like, you know, have you you seem such a happy go lucky guy and were you always that way and you're 17 18 years old did you always have that about you were you always just scotty that you know, like to joke like to you're one of the guys or you must have seen so many horrific things in your life you know and 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 what makes you any different that you can have this resilience you know is it just the nature is it kind of a are you lucky in that sense yeah i am lucky yeah i'm lucky to have had the life i have i mean you know looking back uh you know uh, a young teenage Scotty, uh, like, you know, I, I was I was brought up in Peckham, a place called Nunhead, which is right near Peckham, and then sort of moved out to Kent a little bit later. Mm. And, and uh, you know, some of my resilience was born on the uh, born at Millwall Football Club. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a as a supporter with with, with uh, you know my old mate Mark Fire, who uh, you know we still go now and again, still pals from from you know when we went to college together. And stuff, and 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 you know, I suppose joking aside, you know that that was a tough time to be a football supporter in the eighties and stuff, and you know, especially going home and away. My passion football, I used to love following Millwall and stuff. But bloody hell, you know, you saw some things when you followed that team uh, uh, for sure. And I've got some stories that go with that that might not be broadcastable. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but 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 you know, resilience-wise, 
I I personally think you sort of really build your values and your beliefs and, and your own culture and your norms of behaviour, if you like. I think you build them up as you as you go through stuff, not not just on your own, but as you do it together. Uh, uh, you know, we're like-minded people. You sort of gives you an armour, and an armour's fine as long as you know when to take it off, right? And, you know, and because sometimes we have to pick ourselves back up because it's okay to fail. Because you fail doesn't mean to say you're a failure and stuff. And, 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 you know, as long as you know the difference and you learn, don't you, as you go through life. Um, and I've been joined the Marines. And we can talk about how I joined the Marines in a minute, if you like, if you remember to ask me. But I do remember going down there and seeing these guys with their berets of green who were instant role models to me. They were using words like humility, like integrity, phrases like understated excellence. And as a young teenage kid to stop the terraces of Millwall, I didn't understand any of that really. Um, I, I was probably living, living my life by a different code, a different way. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I'd have ended up in prison or on drugs or bed. Uh, didn't really know the direction I was going to go. And, you know, when I found the Marines, uh, you know, by accident, if so to speak, um, and you see these very impressive people who live their lives by different codes, you can see have got really deep cultural values. It sort of makes you want to be like one of them. You think, wouldn't it be amazing? And 25, 30 years later, having sort of, you know, been one of the key the key officers commanding our commando training itself. You you look at the young recruits as they come in and much like myself, you know, afros, bit of soul glowing, <laughs> a little bit of a chip on the shoulder thinking I was Jack Malai. And then out of 32 weeks later, do they turn that young lad into somebody who's prepared to put his life on the line for his brothers by his side, who, who is highly trained. Um, and something I've thought about often, about, you know, everywhere you go in our centre of excellence, our commando training centre for the Royal Marines, it's only around the corner from where I live in, in, uh, in Limpstone. Uh, you know, the Marines, have, I think, have got a very strong reputation and culture that's been built over 356 years now, I think it is. Uh, you know, it's one that's linked to a winning team. Marines rarely lose. They can't afford to lose. And 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 it's interesting, speaking about resilience and that culture that comes out of it, everywhere you go at our commando training centre, there's posters on the wall. Courage, determination, unselfishness, cheerfulness in the face of adversity. And what the Marines very skillfully do is they take those words off the poster and they put it in here. They do that over time. And you can see a change in yourself. And I often think that, you know, I look back at myself as a 10-year-old kid, maybe fucking packing and stuff, and I suspect my 100% of what I could do 
across all areas was quite low. But then, you know, you get into your teenage years, you have some experiences, let's say, and you're 100% grows, and join the Marines and, and have this whole cultural shift and my 100% went up there. And, and then afterwards, when you go and do the operations and the deployments and the exercises and, and you know, decades in the Marines, you realise that, that there is no ceiling. There's no limit. No fears. No blame, no excuses. There's no ceiling. And every single day, I learn and pick up new stuff of people like you and of other people that I'm with. And I just keep adding that other people's DNA, really, especially the stuff that I listen to. And I think, oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. And I, and I, and I add it in here and I've learned to do it. You talk about building resilience. I think. Each, each each little bit that you learn just adds to your armor, right? Yes. Yeah. And adds to your knowledge and adds to your experiences. No point having an experience if you don't recall it and then use it for later life. No point having it. So I think you've got to be skillful enough to be able to take this knowledge and information and filter it. Let's call it data. And filter it and there's no point having all this information you need to be able to collate it store it in somewhere and then analyze it and then use it for the future but, you know we can go all analytical on it but at the end of the day that's what information is about i think if we can do that um in a way that suits what you're going to be doing um you know in the marines you need to be resilient it's, it's pretty obvious uh, you know we we, we go on and in terms of, you know, that way of programming young Marines, has uh, that changed over time? You know, when you started, I'd imagine there'd be a lot of shouting, a lot of, you know, an aggressive male environment, you know, a lot of macho behaviours. Has that changed or is it kind of, you've had consistency in the, the way you train people because it worked, right? You know what? Um, that's the perception. And uh, whenever we used to have visitors come into our commando training, they couldn't believe our little shouting was going on. Yeah, we we teach, coach, and mentor people. We don't follow and shout and belittle them. Hmm. We we teach, they listen. We coach, they practice. We mentor, they develop. And you get alongside these young recruits, and and you know, you inspire them rather than make them fearful of you. And uh, you know, you show them what it is you want them to do. We talk about you know, you explain something. Then you demonstrate it, and then they have to imitate it, and then they practice it. EDIP, explain, demonstrate, imitate, practice. And they just keep doing that all the time. And then we, we give them problems to solve, and then we make them cold and wet and tired and hungry. Then we ask them to do something. Then we ask them to lead. We ask them to do something complex or something that's just at the limit of maybe their physical capabilities, something they can't do on their own. So they've got to recruit help from people around them um, because you know we don't want the fittest the fastest the strongest the marines want team players who are never ever going to give up um, and and you know you talked about programming a young recruits it couldn't be further from the truth these these are young men who are searching for a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to be part of one of the most amazing organizations in the world um, 
And if you're blessed to have brushed by the Royal Marines at all, you realise how important their core family and the people that support and surround them are, um, and how much life fulfilment have you got. You know, you said to me about, must have seen some horrible things. My goodness me. You know, I remember as a young kid, stood outside Buckingham Palace with the rest of my school class. And the teacher, who wasn't the most inspirational, said, this is as far as we go. None of you will ever get to go in, in there. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. You would remember that, wouldn't you? It was only young, yeah. seven. Seven, maybe. People like us don't get to go in there. And, uh, you know, enjoying the Marines and sort of look back and 32 years later. Um, well, it's not about proving people wrong, is it? It's, it's you, you, uh, you know, you look back and you think, oh, do you know what? What a pleasure it has been for me to, to have had the opportunity to go to 86 countries on six continents, to have, uh, you know, deployed all around the world on deployments and operations, to have training in a football team and to brush shoulders with the World Cup winners and, Olympic gold medalists and you had the opportunity to work with them. Oh, amazing. You met, you met Lorraine, you met Lorraine Kelly, is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went on the Lorraine show. That was cool. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was good fun. She, she's lovely. Yeah. Really nice. And the wife was excited. She got to come as well, which which really made it. <laughs> so, 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 uh, Suzanne is a big fan of, um, I'm a celebrity, get you out of here. And when we went to the studios to go and for me to go on the Lorraine show, a lot of the stars had just come out of the jungle and they were on the Lorraine show as well. So the wife's going mad, me and all oh. <laughs> and she and and uh, and she makes me laugh because whenever there's somebody famous around, she goes all sort of red and blotchy and and uh, all, all sort of giggly and embarrassed and you know. Um, doesn't really matter to me. So I just go over and grab these kids and say, give us a pen to come over and get a photograph with the wife. She's like, oh, it's good. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now back to it. You've had such a, an awesome career and a life that, you know, very few people can, can relate to because it's so... You've achieved so many things, you know, and, and from, from very humble roots too. But can you point to anything in particular where you go, I'm so proud of that? Or, or what's your biggest achievement, in your opinion? Oh, man. Yeah, cool. That's a tough one, James, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, there's a few things that stick out. Um, one of the last things I did, well, actually, the last thing I did in the Marines was, um, was I... I organized and led, along with my team, for 256 Marines to fly over to America to um, to compete against the United States Marine Corps in a feast of sporting extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how um, did you fear? We, we, you we, of... uh, the, not 19 different sports, seven different American states, uh, over 100 events coordinated. Uh, spent 18 months putting that together uh, with a guy called Scott Ferguson, another lad called Richie Assen, uh, and Blakey, who's, who's an Army physical training instructor. The four of us put that together. And um, 
talk about life fulfillment, which is sort of what what's me, gets me out of bed in the mornings. Well, you know, to have put that together for so many of our, our guys who work so hard, back-to-back operations and deployments, going to sandy and jungles and Arctic-type places and all of this, well, part of the recruiting offer was that they'd get to go and go to some pretty incredible places. Um, and they'd get to have the opportunity to represent our nation at sport as part of the Marines and stuff. And basically we put all these sports together. There was no military uniform, no really well uh, sponsored by our Marines charities. And we flew them all over there, uh, you know, for two weeks and, and competed against the United States Marines. Um, it, uh, you know, we played them at rugby, which obviously we won, uh, you know, played them at um, American football, which obviously they won. Yeah. Uh, you know, basketball, they were pretty good at as well, to be fair. Um, and then there were some closer ones like clay pigeon shooting, um, golf. They were both close and stuff and a whole raft of other stuff like field hockey and stuff. And we took all these different teams over there and it was amazing. We were treated like kings and queens by the United States Marines and the American people as well. Talk about being proud of their people who serve well every single day coming up in the time when you could shake people's hands um, and the pride in people who serve is really evident there and that was that was an amazing thing to do um, I, I really love that it's a great way to finish and that is one of my sort of top things I suppose a line to that um, was you know, working with the England football team. I'm sure we're going to talk, talk about that properly in a moment. That was, that was like a dream come true, really. Uh, you know, amazing experience to work with, uh, you know, work alongside Gareth and Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling and all of those guys as well. That was great fun. And, and you know, I built some uh, some really strong friendships up through through that. And, and, and you know, many of us are still in, still in touch sort of three years later. So that's pretty cool. Um, was, that, was that off the back of your, you know, you had a lot of success with the English rugby team and is that what had gave you the sort of the stepping stone to, 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 to help with the FA or was it, you know, the, they engaged with the Marines for a time and, and they had some issues that they wanted to resolve or what was your? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there's physical training instructors, which is something that, that I specialized in, uh, you know, we are always out front. And ultimately, I always call PTIs. I say it's not just physical, it's psychological training instructor as well. Because we have to get the best out of people and we motivate them so that they can achieve things they never, ever thought that they could do. And we do it every day. Um, and we are more involved in the culture of people's mindsets than the actual size of their muscles and their physical capabilities. And you realise that really quickly in the Marines. It's all about it's all about motivation and motivation and inspiration. Yes, you need to be physically fit, but we will take you to a place where it goes beyond physical fitness, and it's actually the psychological values, the spirit of togetherness and camaraderie and unity that really drives people on. It's also things like you know taking ownership for not just your own 
performance, but for the performance of others. You know, resilience you spoke about, but what about performing under extreme pressure? And we take just some of those values that I spoke about there, well, they translate really well over onto a sports pitch, right? Yes. Yeah. When you're trying to get, you're trying to motivate a team to win a World Cup, whether in rugby or in any other sports. And uh, it was back in 99, so quite a while now, um, I sort of dipped my toe in the water with an opportunity that I had to go out to Los Angeles to go and work with the United States America's Cup yachting team. Oh. Um, and, and they'd asked a few of us commandos to go out there and we did a sort of week's training session with them. And that was my first sort of dip into um, elite sport. A couple of years later, a couple of really good mates of mine, Stevie Hargreaves, um, who's, who's uh, now over in the Aussie commandos, um, and uh, a guy called uh, Tweet, Tweet Sylvester. Tweety Sylvester, yeah, yeah. Who, who, <laughs> who, who is a man mountain, actually. You wouldn't laugh at him because he'd have you. <laughs> um, who, the pair of them are both rugby mad and, and, and they tailored together um, a couple of sessions for the England rugby team in, two, in 1999 and then 2002, just before their own World Cup. Um, and, and, you know, I've been recruited in to go and help alongside that and got really close with some of the, uh, you know, got close and alongside some of the players who were just about to go to the World Cup because, you know, we were, uh, you know, taking them for a week's worth of leadership training, really, and togetherness, unity and that sort of thing. And uh, I was involved in that for the week and that was a real eye-opener. This is where I was starting to realise then and starting to take in that actually some of the attributes and what we do really transfer over into the civilian world as well. So uh, the England rugby team went on to go and do pretty well winning the World Cup, literally the year after they come down to see us. Yes. Thumbs up. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear Sir Clive Woodward come up with a new model and he, and he spoke, you know, he wrote in his book and he, and he speaks about, uh, you know, time with the Marines and what a huge force multiplier that was on their quest to go and go and, you know, win the World Cup and what they'd learned and, and uh, you know, how important it was. So as the years went on, then got to work with, uh, you know, Team GB a couple of times, uh, the women's hockey team, which was great. They went on to go and win a, a bronze at, London 2012, our home Olympics, and then, and then you know, a gold medal at the Rio Olympics as well. They were amazing to work with, amazing, driven ladies who, who were just incredible, they were. Um, and then, you know, 2017, we get to call. Um, it was one of Gareth's backroom staff who had come down with the England rugby team all those years ago. And he had remembered with fondness the, the, the real positivity and what they'd got out of that. And he said to Gareth, we, we can't afford not to go and see the Marines before we go to our World Cup next year. So, so that's how that came about. Programme was put together and, uh, you know, I was involved with that. And that was just amazing. It, 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 you get alongside Gareth. I decided to get alongside the players and Gareth straight away. I thought it was really important that they knew um, who we were because I like to go along the lines of trying to inspire people. Um, and if you can inspire them, then they're more likely to engage with you. 
And then once people engage with you, then you can start talking about how they can develop and how they can change. Um, and if you miss the inspiring bit out, then it's difficult to engage with people, right? That's the way I see it. Um, and I've used that method for a long time now. So I thought it was really important to get alongside them, get to know them, build a rapport up before we then go and do something where hopefully, you know, we can lead them and show them how we do it. Um, and so, you know, we did that. And Are you still handy enough for the ball at your feet? Are you kind of, you all right? Am I still what? Handy enough for the ball at your feet. Oh, yeah, I can kick a bag of wind round. <laughs> <laughs> Sheik's bladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh used to play quite a bit of five-a-side. But probably not anymore. It's more golf nowadays. Mm. Um, but but um, got alongside Gareth straight away. He he's um, he's quite some fella, you know. Uh, you know, he's trying to build a new team with a new way of thinking, with a new manager, with new ideas, and prepared to take some calculated risks. Uh, you know, he's been in that job a little while now. Uh, but we engaged with him right at the very start of his tenure, really. Um, and he sort of made it clear that, you know, I don't think we'll get into the Scotland football team on this conversation. No, it's, probably best some, we don't. If you want to hear some real hard home truths. <laughs> 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 but, but, you know, England haven't done so well either in recent history. And it's, it's no secret that they've been paralysed through fear of failure. Tournament after tournament after tournament. Um, you know why think, is that? During the media as well, there's so much expectation from the you know the English people and the um, in the media don't do do you any favors. Is that fair to say? You kind of three things I noticed: the huge media scrutiny that they were under. Yes. Okay, you're very astute, James. <laughs> the the incredible expectation that had been placed on them um, by the family, by the fans, by the nation. Um, and the last one is consequences of failure. Hmm. Yeah, makes you afraid, right? Well, it can do. And when they come down and spoke to us and we work with them in teams and groups and sometimes all together and sometimes one-to-one -one conversations as well. So a whole raft of different interactions. Um, it was easy to put some of their experience into perspective which is sort of why they've come down, uh, you know, to the Marines to see a different side of how these things transpire. So, you know, huge expectation on them to win the World Cup, but there's a huge expectation on us to, to uh, you know, protect our nation and to keep us safe. Hmm. Massive scrutiny upon them. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I've seen firsthand the media scrutiny that they, they get, which is unbelievable. That's um, how we behave um, and you know follow the rules of war because we have to make 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 sure you know we 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 abide by the rules um, and and don't let ourselves or our family or our country down when we're on operations by doing something that is wrong. Um, but also the big one, I think, is consequences of failure. So, so consequences of failure of not winning a football match and missing the penalty might be 
something like, do you, do you remember in 1998 when Beckham got sent off? You know, there was a unbelievably a hanging effigy of him um, on the front page of one of the newspapers, one of the tabloids and stuff. And, and you know, you can imagine how, my, how that must have affected that young man at the time. And they are young men. Uh, but the consequences of failure, to put it in perspective for them, um, for us as Marines going on operational deployments, is the serious injury or death of me or the men under my command. So it was a full weekend of perspectives like that. And I was really lucky to then be invited to go up uh, to watch the England-Scotland World Cup qualifier, actually, which was amazing. The first time I'd ever been to Hamden Park, rickety old stadium, but God, there was some <laughs> yeah. noise come out of that. that. There really and, was. And and go on. No, go on. You, you're carry on. Sorry, I was just about to, to put a pop in at the national stadium, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah, and and uh, you know, they reckon that 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 you know, during that match, um ultimately England scored a last minute winner to salvage a point. And stuff it would have been a little bit embarrassing for us as Marines having just done a whole weekend of sort of you know resilience performing under pressure overcoming and all that sort of stuff and then go and lose to Scotland that wouldn't have been good but actually <laughs> um when Scotland scored a couple of quick free kicks incredible sort of worldy type goals interestingly and I was in the stadium but I got to sit on the bench which was pretty cool um interestingly you know, there was, they were into injury time. They were 2-1 down. Griffiths, I think, had just scored a goal against us and stuff. And England were losing. And I've seen England teams in the past. I've been there when shoulders have been rounded. They're on their knees on the floor and stuff. And I didn't see that in this team this time. I saw really positive body language. I looked at the clock. We were in an injury time. I was looking at. Harry Kane, first game as, as as captain for England. Really positive mindset. Saying to the lads, focus, keep cool, we'll get another chance. And we made one straight away and salvaged the point. And that was a big moment in the evolution of that team. Garth's admitted that. Uh, you know, this team never gives up. Yeah, a little bit like the Marines. We want people who are never, ever going to give up. We want team players. All of a sudden, things were starting to... Do you, do you go to the extent I've of become a pound? You know, in in the way that the Marines have expressed values and per, and and principles in a way. When you work with a team like England, do you do you kind of start from scratch and write down and express what you intend the team to act like, to the values to be, the culture to be? Is that is that an exercise that you do? You give them examples, don't you? You give them examples about how we do our culture, and that's what we did in the Marines. We spoke about our values and stuff, and 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 then you back it up with genuine, lived-in, authentic experiences, which you share with people. And then, you know, they're intelligent people. The, 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 you know, there's 55 um, from England, from the, uh, you know, 23 of the players, but then more staff. So Gareth had insisted that every single staff member came down and did all of our endurance and assault courses and stuff like that. He said, you know, we're a team. And, uh, you know, the kit man and the security guy and everybody like that is just as important a member of this team as our most highly um, 
highly prized striker. Um, and that's the way to go, making everybody realise that they were a vital cog in that machine, whether they were the team doctor or whether they were physio, strength and conditioning coach. And they've got a lot of people, analysts and stuff that work within the England setup, privileged to have seen that a few times, which is amazing. Um, and, and uh, you know, and that bringing together, bearing in mind that was one of the things that Gav said he wanted to do, he wanted to bring the team together by going through some shared experiences from which they could draw for the future. So intelligent, articulate man, and the skill wasn't, we don't want him to be commandos, do we? No. But, but Gareth was, and his team were clever enough to be able to take the facilitation that we did um, about their performance, and they took some of that and they incorporated some of that into their culture, and I, and I witnessed them doing that, and that was pretty cool. And then we've talked about it before, and I'm a big, I've got a bit of a bias towards rugby, but, you know, the All Blacks team and, and kind of the ethos of the All Blacks and it being the, I think, statistically, the most successful sports team ever, would that be right? Do you, do you take a lot from other sports? And can football learn more from other sports, you know, even Chicago Bulls and 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 sort of the principles that they live their life by? Do you, you know, is that, is where, where Gareth, is he read up on other sports and things that, that he's tried to enhance sort of football's mentality. Is that fair to say? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you know, if you have the courage to break out of your own industry, whatever you do, um, and then and then go and search other industries to see what you can learn from them. I I know for a fact I'm sold on this that 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 uh, that you can learn so much more than what you could have done by staying at home and sort of playing it safe. As an example, it would have been really easy for Gareth to say, oh no, we're not going to go down to the Marines. We're going to, let's stay at St George's Park and we'll have a training weekend, um, you know, where we'll practice our free kicks and our penalties and our team tactics and stuff. But but then to hear them speak about the positivity and the things that they glean from, uh, you know, taking a chance. Um, there's so much to be dragged there, uh, dragged out of that. I think, um, and and it takes a bold leader, right, to um, take a highly valued sports players um, from their normal area of training in a fairly sterile environment into a commando training centre. Take some balls, right? Especially when yeah. you've got a World Cup qualifier the week after. That takes some bottle. And we're very conscious not to not to break any of the players. Uh, you know, we tried our best. Um, and and actually we didn't, but um was also conscious, and they were too, that that you know, if I was gonna give it a scale of one to ten of how far we pushed them and some of the other teams that have been down over the years, I'd say that we probably pushed them. Two out of ten, max. But that's still <laughs> enough. That was still enough. And uh, <laughs> you've had so much fun and, and a kick out of working from people from all walks of life, right? You're, you're, uh, you've you've had a, but that's all been at the latter age, at the latter end of your career. Is that fair to say, or did you always, you know, kind of have an open door policy to bring in people into to marine ways of working? 
Yeah, James, you know, I, I suppose as a sort of, you know, coming towards the end of my career, really, you know, I sort of looked around and I thought, you know, I'm not sure I've got anything more to do in the Marines, really. I've done every, everything I could have dreamt of. And I really love giving, giving something back. Really love working with like minded people. And um, it was just a natural transition for me to sort of go into the, uh, you know, the keynote motivation, sort of speaking, working with people and working with teams. Uh, you know, I've worked across so many different industries already. Worked with lots of people in the hospitality industry. That's been amazing. Uh, you know, and 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 retail and construction sort of sectors and and you know and working with young kids in their sort of development phase, whether at school or universities and stuff. And I've done some work with that as well. Um, and I just love doing that because you you you're sharing uh, the stuff that you've learned. Um, and you're giving some back and it's really rewarding. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, that's what gets me out of bed, as you well know, is that life fulfillment, sort of, you know, building relationships with people that mean something to me. We're like-minded people, like the England football team, like some really good friends that I've got in the hospitality business who who done support, some support with over recent times because they've needed it, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, like, you know, in terms of, you know, things like leading in a crisis. The Marines know a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, they've needed strong leadership across multiple industries in this crisis that's been going on for quite a while now. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's what I do now. I work with people and work with teams across any sector, any industry, um, and sort of share my, um, my learnings over three decades of being in the Marines and I love doing it. And and you can tell a team gets, you know, a lift, you know, it's, it, you, you're a buoyant force, if you like, you know, to, to bring in, you know, I guess not just you, other, other Marines that you, you're, you've worked with in the past and, and you're such, you know, inspiration to, to, to leaders that you can kind of be that voice of reassurance and, and, and help build cultures. But is it, is it critical to, to define and, and write down and, and, distill what works so you can protect a legacy if you like because you know you can give that motivational speech today but is it remembered in six months time and and how do they take that forward and 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 work with it themselves is it through definition and defining their own values and what what they believe in if you like is that is that critical for culture and for you know just to just to build a a team not just for today but for you know years down the line because the marines they have their own expressed values, if you like, and they're so critical, right? And they've been about for 300 years. I don't suppose they've changed much, perhaps. Is that fair to say? Well, you have to evolve or you die, don't you? And, and yeah. uh, you know, the modern battle space has certainly changed over 300 and odd years. You know, the Marines at one point, they, uh, you know, they were, they were boarding parties on ships and stuff and they used to you know transfer from one ship to the other and spanish armada and all this sort of business all those years ago and and uh, you know the battle of of gibraltar and stuff like this as well you know back in 1700s and uh you know things change right and Mm. you know the royal marines are theater entry troops now were specialists in cold weather warfare um you know mountains warfare as well you know and 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 uh, you know we uk's amphibious troops as well you know from from ship to shore, from shore to shore, by 
uh, you know, helicopter like we did in Iraq in 2003, which is one of the most amazing things I've done in my life as well. It sort of fits in the top five too. Um, and, and, you know, talk about recording cultures and stuff. And, uh, you know, the teams and people that I work with, you know, they, they, I've watched them evolve their cultures in a positive way, realizing that culture is important to their organizations. Doesn't guarantee success, of course, but from what I've seen, organizations, teams with strong cultures tend to be more successful than others. They don't always work hand in hand, but often, in my experience, that has been the case. You talk about recording and writing it all down because I don't think there is one size fits all. This is the right way. That's the wrong way. You work with people about what they're trying to achieve and you have to understand them so that they can adapt and respond and ultimately overcome. And how they choose to do that, you can go on a journey with them and inspire them to engage in that journey. And the fact that people are talking to you about culture means that that's something that's important to that organization, right? Yes. If you're open to it, then fabulous. And talk about recording stuff down. You know, I've started recording my sort of memoirs down, if you like, uh, you know, just at sort of a book proposal stage at the moment. And the only reason I'm doing it is so that my kids got a legacy one day, you know, I might say, oh, look, great granddad wrote a book, you know, what did he get up to? And stuff. And yes, I'd love to share it with other people, maybe families, maybe school kids, maybe people in business, cross sports teams and stuff. Some of the experience and stuff that I've learned over the years. Um, and, you know, if I can reach out even wider then, then that's fantastic. But ultimately, um, you know, one of the proudest moments and most amazing things that I got to do was to carry the Olympic flag London 2012. Now, can you imagine what that was like to be chosen wow, as a yeah. Royal Marines officer um, at the Olympics closing ceremony? We marched out in front of 80,000 people in the Olympic Stadium. I think there was over 1 billion people on the planet. Was that? I stupidly had my phone in my pocket. <laughs> on silent and all I could hear was buzz, 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 buzz. It like buzzed about 300 times. It was really <laughs> off <off-putting. Ooh. laughs> And 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 uh, you know, people were uh you know for my kids and my family and my wife, um they were so proud, you know. Um and it and that felt like the culmination of a whole career, really. Uh, you know, it wasn't quite um, but that was one of the most special moments of my life you're listening to mostly talk if you're enjoying the show why not leave us a review thanks for listening now back to it when you were back at the gates of buckingham palace when you were a kid seven years old did you have ambition did you have hunger did you have vision to say that hey i'm going in that direction and i'm hell bent on being a success or were you quite a laid-back dude that just fell into some things yeah it's pretty laid back because you know you sort of listen to your your teachers and stuff and you think oh you know if she says i ain't going to go in there then i probably won't sort of thing and like you know couldn't have been further from my reality looking inside those gates thinking i you know i'll never go in there i probably thought that that's, and that's probably the reason why i've remembered it because you know 
I have dined with the Queen, the royal family, in, inside Buckingham Palace, you know. Um, and, and uh, you know, I remember the first time I went in there, um, just remembering that, that experience that I had as a young kid. And it wasn't, I told you so at all, because that's not the truth. Um, however, I do remember it thinking, you know, you can try and define people and keep them narrow, if you like, and make sure they know their place. But we live in a different world now, right? Where anything's possible. And, uh, you know, just an ordinary guy, James, uh, <laughs> that that on occasion has got to do some extraordinary things with some really inspirational, special people by my side. Um, and, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, it's just uh, like your attitude now, just being able to, to share that with other people and, to, you know, it, you can hold your head up high, obviously. You've had such a phenomenal life, but it's like it's a shame to let that go to waste by not by not passing that learning on to others. You know, it's it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 you know, that's what inspires and gets me out of bed in the morning. And I want to continue to share um, and to pass those experiences on. Absolutely, man. And uh, it's one thing, I, I don't know, I think it's like a bold conversation to have and you know we're we've built up a friendship now, and I, I think uh, you know I, I trust you that you 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 treat this with respect. But I'm as this. I was born in a very white uh, part of the country, you know, on a farm, rural Scotland. You know, I'd, I've had friends from all over the world. I've been very lucky to have friends from India, Nigeria, South America, and people that I still hold dear to this day. But how's how's life changed for you? As you know, you're from London. You know, you're 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 a black kid from London with has and how's how's like people's attitudes and, and racism in your in your mind it's come a long way right and it's got a way to go perhaps but you know do you do you look to your kids and go you know is it a far fairer world than they than you grew up in at that age if you don't mind me asking no not at all mate no you can you can approach any subject with me you know that we've got to know each other pretty well now as well haven't we so uh and to be honest, you couldn't offend me if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't. Um, yeah, deep question, uh, I suppose. What I can say um, is that looking back as a young kid, you know, times in Peckham where, you know, South London and the Windrush generation, most of the families there were black. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and then moved out to Kent for a bit, and that was a sort of a whiter sort of area as well. Um, probably took more notice of it when I joined the Marines, strangely, because people were saying to me, you know, British Armed Forces, you know, colonial past, and all this sort of thing. And, you know, always been quite astute upstairs, and and listening to some of the things that were potentially being spoken about. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, when I first joined the Marines, um, back in 1987, the, the training was probably a little more brutal than what it is now. There wasn't so much teach, coach and mentor. It was more, you either cut the mustard or you fell to the wayside. Um, and what I noticed was, was that it was little bits of what you call banter. Got to be careful with that word, don't you? I suppose, right? But 
bits of banter. Um, but what I did notice with these men with these green berries on who were the trainers were that they were judging people on what they did and how, and how they did it every single day. And it didn't matter whether you were the, the fat lad or whether you were the ginger bloke, or whether you were the jock, or whether you were the South London black kid. Um, they always, always rewarded high performance. And if you performed as a team, and that's what they were after. They were after a team functioning together with raising the collective bar. I noticed that the Marines, I can't really speak so much about the Army or Navy or Air Force because I haven't served within them, but I can tell you about the Marines. Um, I wouldn't have stayed for 32 years if they'd have been racist. Hmm. You know, the only time I really really noticed that I had slightly different skin to the majority, 99% Marines, was when I shaved in the morning. And I think that's testament to the culture of the Marines. They don't care where you come from, what colour your skin is. If you're prepared to serve and you're prepared to give your best every single day, then that's what they'll judge you on. And... I suppose looking back, there were probably less opportunities for people of my colour to become officers in the Marines. There were. It was less. And, and you know, I don't know how far you have to go back, but certainly I know within the British Army and probably the Marines were the same as well. They used to look at people's backgrounds and stuff. Well, no more. There's no more of that. And there's opportunities for um, for people from wherever to 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 show their mettle and to be judged objectively and fairly. And, uh, you know, that then opens the door for people like me in recent times to, you know, reach senior officer ranks um, and to show what we can do. And when I say what we can do, uh, you know, I say we as Marines, the job, the fat kid. Yeah. Um, because it truly doesn't matter. And to have... Such an honour to have been part of an organisation where there's no endemic racism. I can tell you for a fact there is not. Mm. And if you cut me open and look inside, you see the green. I'm green. The same colour as my green berry. Um, I'm not a black bloke inside. And isn't it funny to say that? Because, you know, someone asked me to describe myself. I wouldn't sound a black bloke in South London. I'd say I come from a humble background. And stuff and I'm proud of my roots okay and um, I also recognize that there's been tough times and I'm really pleased the topic is has, has been raised at such a high level all the way around the world there's real reverberations in there and if I think about why I joined the Marines in the first place and certainly some of the opportunities some of the things that I've seen I like to call myself a peaceful warrior, James. Um, I don't search out for wars to go to. But when you go to some of these third world countries that are struggling, um, you see some people there that are like my nan or granddad, or like my mum or my aunts and uncles who, who are suffering. And, you know, Marines have done peacekeeping organisations uh, you know, 
peacekeeping operations and stuff like this as well over the years. And, you know, whilst, don't get me wrong, if an enemy is trying to kill us, then you're going to face something fearsome. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, we, we will always, certainly I speak about myself, always, always sought to look about how I can help people. Don't have to go too many decades back to different persecutions, whether it's, you know, Rohingya people or, you know, even the Jews back in the Second World War. And you think about the persecution of people because they're from a different religion, different creed, different colour and stuff. And I've always hated it. I've always hated to see that. And I've always thought if I could make a difference to stop that, then I would. And, you know, maybe there might be something there for me in the future. I'm not sure about, you know, the culture of the Marines is about judging people on what they do and how they do it, as opposed to anything that they might look like. And I think that's just a wonderful, really clear message. Um, because that's how people want to be treated, right? Exactly. Yeah, and we're not... We're not. Uh, there's more things that we have in common than than differentiate us in in some ways. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know. It's just um, you know, it's a very very interesting. You know, I discussed this with my father-in-law actually. Like the the internet, on the birth of the internet, you thought there'd be more understanding and more you know understanding about different cultures and people from different places in the world and and like more of a like you know we're in it together. We're all exactly the same. But it seems to be this sort of divisive way that that I don't know. I potentially technology's driven us and driven politics, etc., to be yeah partisan, and it's kind of horrible. There's so much hate when really it shouldn't it shouldn't be so hateful because ultimately we're all we're all in it together, irrespective of how we look, like you said. And it's important that leaders like you and and people who have been there and done that and seen people from all walks of life, you know, are more vocal about that in many respects, I think. But um, Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I try to avoid the internet as much as possible. I've got to be honest. Yeah, I do right. because, and, and uh, you know, it's, I think it's healthier, uh, you know, for my mental fitness, my mental wealth, I call it. Um, it is healthy. Um, and, and, you know, we try to limit and encourage the kids to, to you know, source information from from sort of other areas as well, rather than just listening to sort of one point of view. Um, and something I've found is you know the ability to be able to. It's something I sort of learned as a Marines officer, really, and as a Marine sergeant, was 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 you know to take in all the information around you, take a step back. We call it a tactical knee. <laughs> and take that information in before you then start coming up with a plan of what you're going to do next. Um, and there's so much digital information flying in from every angle at the moment. It must be so confusing for, you know, our youngsters, our kids, the millennials, so confusing about what is right and what is wrong, um, what is true and what is untrue. Um, and, and, it's, it's a real tough minefield for them to navigate through, right? But we've got to stand side by side with, the, with them to make sure that we steer them through these difficult paths so they don't make too many, um, 
huge mistakes that are going to affect them further down the line. So as always, support, guide, nurture, same as the Marines, teach, coach and mentor. We've got to get alongside the youngsters and, and show them what's really important in life, not just digital technology and listening to what people you don't even know are saying that don't care about you. Get alongside your loved ones. Get alongside people who really care about you. Get alongside people who inspire you and spend as much time with them as you can. That's where you'll learn um, how to socially interact with people as well. That's where yeah. you'll hit the real value in life. That's where you'll really start to grow and you'll develop a growth mindset which will set, set you on the stepping stones to success in life. <laughs> You're such an inspiration for for so many reasons, Scotty. But you know, you're you know the way you speak about your circle of trust and and protecting that circle of influence. You know, you, you talked about that a lot in the past. Is that is that a marine thing, or is it just something you've you've kind of come to terms with yourself, having met so many people and and <laughs> lots of different characters, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know that that sort of circle of influence is important. I mean, you know. Supposed to finish off with the Marines, really. We're really proud of what we call our Royal Marines core family. Um, and the Royal Marines core family is not just filled with Marines. It's filled with people who have either worked alongside us or have supported us over the years or who we have supported them. And it's an interlinked web, like the internet, but better. <laughs> that wraps around the entire world. Um, and, and you know, we reach out and can reach out to each other. A great example is when I was in Iraq, 2003, wife pregnant with number three, yours is coming soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and, and uh, you know, the wife was getting phone calls off of commanding officers asking how she's doing almost daily. There were flowers turned up, um, you know, you know, uh, when she gave birth as well. And and she reached out to some of my friends who who hadn't gone to Iraq with us, who were knocking on the door to make sure that Suzanne's okay, does she want anything? And in some work settings, some, you have colleagues, right? In sports, you, you have teammates. In the Marines, we have brothers, lifelong brothers. And the strength that you get from that core family means that anything is possible because you've got all these people who love you by your side. And it's very inspirational. Yeah. But uh, it's a really nice place to end a podcast, I think, Scotty. You're, uh, you know, you're so insightful. I think, uh, you know, you can, I think everyone could take something from, from the way you live your life and, and not just as a, a former Marine, but as a, a father and a husband as well. You know, you're, you're such a great guy. Thank you for your time. James, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. I'm James Brewster, and that was the legendary Scotty Mills. Um, Scotty's very generous with his time. And yeah, who, who, would, who would ever get sick of hearing him speak? He's, he's such a legend and, and uh, so insightful. So yeah, thanks for your time, Scotty. Next episode... I'm speaking to David Moffat, the former CEO of NZ Rugby and various other sporting organisations. Uh, David is a, a close friend to the late Jonah Lomu 
and uh, David Campisi as well, actually, um, who we also got lined up for another episode of Mostly Talk. Find out a bit more about what we do at Mostly.Consulting. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend? 